Hello, everyone. It's good to uh, see you all again via uh, our our online Zoom service. I hope everyone is doing well. Uh, thank you, Pastor Francis, for uh, reading God's Word for us from Luke chapter 7. Uh, today we are in Luke 7, and we are going to be talking about just a, a story that actually starts out very, very, very sad, but obviously that we're, a story that ends in just uh, with with amazement, with, with a miracle. And as we, as we see a story of a woman losing her only son, and there's so much sadness, obviously, that comes with that, but then obviously a story where we see Jesus doing a great miracle. So before we go into this passage, let me say a word of prayer for us, and then we'll, uh, we'll, we'll dive into the passage. Let's pray. Father, we thank you again for this time. We thank you for the time you've given us to come together to worship you as as a church and lord today as we as we delve into this passage as we see what you have to say to us lord we just pray that we would be moved by you lord we would be convicted we would be blessed that we would be encouraged and lord that we would just worship you that we would know as we as we sang earlier today that we need you lord but also that we would just glory, uh, that we would just glorify you, knowing how amazing you are, and that we would seek to live a life that truly honors and glorifies you. We thank you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So as we continue uh, our service, and as we look at this passage, we again, we, we have a story that's, that's very sad. It's a story that starts in, in, in a sad place. We, we, we see a woman who is a widow who has just lost her only son. Now, now, as we think about that for a second, I mean, I every time I've heard anyone sharing about the pain of losing a child, it's, it's, it's so painful to hear. It's, it's something that, you know, even as you listen to somebody, you know, share about that kind of pain, you, you feel their pain. It's, and it's something that, you wish upon no one, and obviously you don't wish upon yourself. And sometimes, you know, when I hear those stories, I, I imagine how hard it would be if I lost one of my children, and it's it's something that you just feel would be just so difficult, right? So hard to bear. And and here in this in this passage, we see this woman losing her only son. Now, to make it worse, is the passage says. She was a widow, All right? So here, here we have this widow who obviously has lost her husband. She had to bury her husband, and that must have been incredibly difficult, right? That just to lose your own spouse. And so now she's probably relying upon her son, her only son, and now she has lost even her only son. I mean, there's, there's, there's no way around it. It's, it's a difficult situation. It is painful. And so here is Jesus. He is drawing, you know, near to, to this called this, this town called Nain, right? So he was in Capernaum. And, and if you look at earlier in chapter 7 of Luke, he does a miracle there, right, with the centurion's servant. And, and now he leaves there. And, you know, this is a town that's maybe about 25 miles or so away from Capernaum. So he, he's probably walking this whole distance, and it says here, soon afterward, right, he went to a town called Nain, and his disciples and a great crowd is with him. 
And so Jesus, you know, he, at this point in his ministry, he's very popular, but right? not just his disciples, but there's a lot of people that are around him. They want to see what he has to say. They want to see what kind of miracles he might do. And, and he, he's a popular person at this time. Now, most likely he's very popular because of the miracles he's doing. Maybe some people really like his teaching because it's different, it's fresh, but I'm thinking a lot of it is obviously the miracle. And so, the, so there are people that are following Jesus and he draws near to the gate of the town and behold a man who has died, he, he's been carried out. And so the, the reason is they're saying each other at the gate is because, you know, when you bury the dead, you have to go outside of the town to bury the dead. Generally, uh, if somebody was to pass away, uh, you know, what what they would do is they, they they would actually usually at twilight bury the dead that day and so here is a procession of people coming out and here is jesus and his crowd going in and obviously they're going to meet and it says here uh they, they they're meeting at at the near at the, the gate near the gate of the town now so here's the widow she has lost her only son and there is a crowd of people with her from the town. Now, some of these people are probably going to be people that care about her, her family, people that want to really sympathize with her and mourn with her. But there also are going to be professional mourners. Uh, back then, in their culture, when somebody passed away, you had a couple of people maybe playing the flute, like a mournful dirge or song and you would have mm -hmm. professional mourners who would weep who would wail just to show the pain the sorrow and so you would have these professional mourners right and, and, and instrumentalists and then you would obviously have your loved ones and people that just care and and in this case being that she has lost her only son a considerable crowd in the town is with her at that point, Jesus sees her, and the pastor says that he saw her, that he had compassion on her, and that Jesus said to her, do not weep. And then he doesn't just stop there. Right? He doesn't just look at her and have compassion on her. He doesn't just say, do not weep, which in and itself, and then we'll talk about this more later, but it's, it's an interesting thing to say there maybe, for most people to say, but he says, do not weep. And then he comes up and he touches the, the beer, right, or the buyer. And, and this is really kind of a plank or a stretcher where you would put the deceased and it was really would function as an open casket of sorts, right? And so here is the body of the young man. It's on this, this kind of a stretcher, right? It's kind of an open casket. And, and the bearers, they stand still, but Jesus, says do not weep when he touches it. And obviously, this is not something that a person should have touched because, in, again, for Jews, if, if you touch a dead person, you, you became defiled. You, know, you, you became you know, ritually unclean. And so people, they don't want to touch the dead or go anywhere really near the dead in that sense. But obviously, we see again who Jesus is. Jesus is God and, and Jesus... But he touches the dead. I mean, he, he does not become unclean. Actually, as we will see very soon, he, he gives life. And so Jesus then says, young man, I say to you, arise. Right? He says, young man, I say to you, arise. And, and what happens? The dead man, he sits up. I mean, it's an incredible thing, right? You don't expect 
somebody who has passed away, right? Everybody is mourning. People are weeping. And, and the mother is probably weeping the most. She's probably so torn up. And Jesus says to him to arise. And the dead man just sits up and he begins to speak. Incredible. Everybody's probably amazed. At that point, Jesus gives him to his mother. Um, I Again, I can't imagine just the emotions that this mother must have gone through from just mourning and sadness, brokenness, being wrecked, and then all of a sudden seeing your son, well, before that, seeing this this person, right, who probably, she probably didn't know, really, coming up, telling her, don't weep. He's talking to her dead son, and all of a sudden her son just sits up. She's probably going, whoa, and he starts speaking to her. We don't know what he said to her. And maybe he's saying, maybe he said, Mom, don't cry. Or, Mom, you don't look too good. Or, or maybe he just said, I don't know, Mom, I'm hungry. I mean, we, we don't know what she, he says, but he's just speaking. And Jesus gave him to his mother. Now, at that moment, I'm not sure how the mother's feeling, but it says here in verse 16, fear seizes them all. And this whole crowd of people, the ones that came with Jesus, the ones that were, you know, mourning for this dead young man, they, they glorify God. And they say, a great prophet has arisen among us, and God has visited his people. They're amazed. They're in awe. And this report spreads throughout the whole of Judea and all the surrounding country. And so this, here's this amazing miracle that we see. We see Jesus' power, we see his love, and it's, it's a place of worship. Wow. Jesus does something amazing yet again in this passage. And I want us to look at this passage today, and obviously we want to be amazed at Christ, but I want to also look at just his, his heart. Look at his, his love, his loving kindness, his compassion. We want to look at who Jesus is. And I want to really think about today, as we, as we see who Jesus is, as we are so moved by Christ, by the gospel, how can we become more Christ-like? How can we obviously worship him for who he is, but how can we also say, Lord, I want to be more and more like you. For to me, to live is Christ who dies against. I want to live for Christ, and I want to imitate him. You know, we see in Ephesians 5, Paul calls us to be imitators of God and to walk in love. Right? To be imitators of God, to walk in love. And I want to think today about how, how can we be imitators of God? How can we be like Christ? And how can we walk in love? And, and, and let us look to Christ. Let us look at Christ and gaze upon him this morning. Oh, pretty, pretty much afternoon now. But, and so the first thing, I want to say is Jesus, Jesus sees, right? He saw this woman. He saw this woman who was suffering. Verse 12. Verse 12 says, obviously, the, you know, the, the widow is, you know, um, she's coming out with a considerable crowd. In verse 13, he says, when the Lord saw her, he had compassion on her. Right, the Lord saw her. Now, we may just kind of, you know, just pass by that, by those words without thinking about it too much, but I think it's important that Christ sees this 
woman. He, he's not too preoccupied with himself or the crowd that is with him. And he's not even too preoccupied by looking at the crowd that's coming towards him or by even just looking at the dead man. Because obviously you're going to see this procession. Right? There's no way you can avoid seeing the funeral. You, you know, you're going to see, you know, hear the music of the food. You're going to hear people mourning and maybe weeping. And, and you're going to see this person coming out, this dead person coming out, surrounded with the crowd. And so, of course, you're going to see that. But I think so often it's easy for people to either be preoccupied with themselves or to be preoccupied by looking at what's going on and just saying, oh, wow, look at a huge crowd coming out. Oh, somebody died. And, and so you can kind of lose maybe the suffering of a person in the middle of all that, but Jesus doesn't. He's not preoccupied with himself. He's not distracted by the crowd or even the widow's son. Jesus sees a person who is suffering, who is in need. Now, I want to explain something here. Obviously, this widow is going to be wrecked emotionally. She lost her husband. That's so painful. And she's probably really depending on her son. And now she has lost her son. So just losing loved ones like that, it's, it's awful. It's terrible. But to make it even worse, in their culture, in their society, this, this widow would have been dependent upon her son to protect her, to provide for her. They were in a culture where, where a woman would really rely upon her husband or her sons to really take care of them, to provide for them. And so now, not only is she right in terms of relationally speaking, as she has now lost her only son, but also financially speaking, maybe she might have to beg. Right? Who is she going to rely upon now? Who is going to take care of her now? She's lost her husband. She's lost her only son. So it not only is it just an emotional, relational loss, it's her livelihood depended upon her son. And now she is going to be not just relationally, emotionally broken, but she is she's going to be in need financially. She's going to be really struggling. And, and Jesus sees this widow. He, he sees the suffering, the struggling, the difficulty that she's in. I, um, some of you might know this, some of you know me from back in the day, but I used to have really, really bad eyes. Uh, my, my eyesight prescription was around negative nine. And uh, for those of you that don't know what that is, it is bad. Um, I used to wear glasses, contacts. The glasses I wore used to be very thick lenses because it's, it's, it's hard. And it's hard to see, you know, you, you wake up in the morning and everything is just really blurry and um, it's, it's, it's a difficult thing when you don't have glasses or contact. You pretty much feel like you're, you're almost blind. And so one day, I decided to get LASIK and so now I don't really need corrective lenses and, and I'm thankful for that. But obviously, when you can't see physically, it's, it's, it's a struggle. And a lot of us might have good eyes you know, either naturally or through the use of glasses or contacts or LASIK or whatnot. But we often, even though we can see physically, we often don't see the people in need around us because we're too preoccupied maybe with our own lives or maybe because we just don't care enough. And it's important for all of us to have open eyes, to look around 
and to see how are people doing. Being Christ-like means that we keep our eyes open so that we see the need around us in our own families, obviously in our own church, our community, even in our you know, society, our country. You know, it means, you know, as Pastor Francis shared in the announcements, when we see racial injustice, we should notice it, we should see it, because if we want to be helpful in any way, first we have to see the need, whether it's a societal ill of injustice, or whether it's somebody in our own neighborhood or in our own church or maybe in our own family who's struggling, it's important to see the person. I had a professor in seminary who used to say, don't look at the problem, right? Look at the person in the midst of the problem. And I think that's important, that we see people. We see where they're at, that we want to see, that we, we care enough to see, that we love enough to see. And so we see Christ. He sees this widow, but he doesn't just see her. The pastor says, the Lord saw her, and he had compassion on her. Jesus had compassion on the widow. In a different translation, the NIV, it says, when the Lord saw her, his heart went out to her. I actually like the way um, that describes it. Jesus' heart went out to her in unmitigated compassion. Right? Luke uses the strongest word possible here to describe Jesus' compassion, the root word from which it comes to refers to what is inside of a person, right? The heart, the liver, the lungs, or the viscera. It describes an emotion that has a physical effect. Jesus' heart went out to her. He felt for her. And we, we should know when we look at Jesus, this is who he was. We think about John chapter 11 where Lazarus has, has passed away. And, you know, Jesus observes Martha, Mary and Martha, and obviously the sisters are broken. And, and when he sees the weeping, Jesus was deeply moved in spirit, he was troubled. And the word translated deeply moved comes from an Asian word describing a horse's snorting. So it's kind of, it's, kind of, it's indicated the Lord let out an involuntary gasp. His breath just went out of him. One scholar writes, he gave way to such distress of spirit as made his body tremble. See, Jesus fought for those sisters at that time so much that he had actually a physical reaction. And then obviously he, he, he wept. And, and, and when Jesus sees this widow in name, again, he is inwardly convulsed, moved with compassion. The woman has lost her only son after having lost her husband. She is wrecked emotionally, distorted financially. She, she might feel like she has no hope, and Jesus sees her need, as we just talked about, and his heart goes out to her. He has compassion. He feels it from the inside, and it's, it's, his heart goes out. And this is who Jesus is. I think of a passage like Matthew chapter 9, verse 36, where when Jesus saw the crowds, he had compassion for them because they were harassed. They were helpless like sheep without a shepherd. He is a compassionate Savior. I remember in, in seminary, I had a professor talking about how, how to help others, right? how to counsel others. And he, he used 
uh, four words to describe just different aspects of, of counseling. And he used the word love, know, speak, do, right? Love, know, speak, do. And, and his point was you, you need to start by loving, loving the person, right? Really entering into their world and incarnating the love of Christ and just really loving that person. And as you love them, you have to know them, right? You don't just go in there and start preaching, right? And start just speaking to their lives just because you see the problem. But he said, you, you have to know them. You have to know their struggles. You have to know their thoughts, their reactions, their emotions, their desires. You have to know who they are and really empathize with that person. Be compassionate. And as you love them, as you know them, then you speak into their lives, right? With, with, with the gospel. We, you speak into their lives, and, and then you help them do, love, know, speak, do. But the important part that he was stressing a lot was a lot of times we, 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 we see somebody who seems to be struggling, we just want to just jump in there and say, hey, this is what you need to do. Let me give you the end. Let me give you the solution. This is what the Bible says even. And we don't take the time to really care for, to love, to be compassionate, and to really know and understand and empathize with that person and to enter into their world. And, and, and we don't do that often and we see jesus being compassionate i remember when when uh when my, my wife hera was pregnant with her first shot with with lydia she had incredibly difficult time with morning sickness and it was it was hard and i don't know why they call it morning sickness because it's all day sickness it seemed like to me and she would get so nauseous. And I remember every time we were in the car, especially, she had such a difficult time. Every little bump, it made her want to just, just throw up. And she was so nauseous. And so I remember driving so slow. And I would be driving under the speed limit. And, and I would be that guy that people just kind of pass by, you know, especially on the highway. And why, I, I almost didn't care because I, you see your wife being so miserable. How can you? You just want to help. and There's nothing you can do. You know, you, you ask, what can I do for you? And, and I remember sometimes I would see her and she'd be so miserable and she would have tears in her eyes. And, and I remember just my heart would just break and I just really felt for her. Right? I had compassion and I just wanted to help her in any way. And I, I didn't, but I, there wasn't much I could do. And I remember even praying, Lord, I just wish that she didn't have to be sick, that I could be the one to be sick for her that I could be the one nauseous and wanting to throw up and, and, and just be miserable because it's just so hard to see her struggling like this. And I remember a heart of compassion. Why? Because I love my wife. And I think that's what we are called to have. We're called to have compassion for others, for the needs of others. In Ephesians 4.32, Paul writes, be kind to one another, tender-hearted." forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. It's a passage that I like a lot. I actually often use it at weddings when I officiate them and to remind people of how they should be loving each other. We're called to be kind. We're called to be tender-hearted and compassionate. And obviously it says you have to forgive, and that's a whole other sermon, I feel like. But, but we're called to have the heart of Jesus. The heart, caught to the heart that Jesus has for others. And then, so we see Jesus, he sees the widow. He has compassion on her. But again, that's not it. There's more. There's action. 
there's kindness, there's loving kindness. The Lord saw her, he had compassion on her, and then he acts, right? So he sees, he has compassion, and then he acts. He acts with kindness, and he first says to her, do not weep. Now, those are words of comfort, but it almost sounds insensitive if you whip it out of context, because if, if you lose a loved one, and you are mourning and weeping and wailing because you lost a loved one. Why, why would I go up to you and say, do not weep? Well, you should weep. If anything, what I should, I should do, for example, if someone I know has lost a loved one and is mourning, I, I should go come beside you, right? I should mourn with you. I should weep with you. And I should, I should be there for you. That's what one would think. But Jesus says, do not weep. And he's not being insensitive because... Obviously, he knows, but nobody else seems to know here, that he's going to bring healing. He knows that this young man who has died is going to live again. Right? He's going to rise. He's going to sit up. He's going to rise up. He's going to be revived. And so he says, "Do not weep." Right? It's kind of like when when a child falls, maybe cuts their knee or gets a bruise, and you say, "Oh, it's okay. Don't worry. It'll get better." Right? He says, do not weep. Then he comes up and he touches the buyer. Right? He touches, you know, really the place where he has been placed, right? His, his open casket, so to speak. And everybody is standing still. The bearers stand still. Right? They probably don't know what to do. They're probably thinking, what is this person doing? He's telling this woman who's mourning, this mom, who is, you know, weeping probably. And he says, you know, do not, do not weep. And then he he touches. And again, as I shared earlier, this, he's supposed to be unclean now. He's supposed, Jesus is supposed to be defiled, but that doesn't happen. Jesus is not going to become unclean. No, he is going to give life. And he says, young man, I say to you, arise. And again, I don't, I don't know how he said it. Did he, did he shout it? Did he say it very softly? Did he, did, you know, how, we, we, the pastor doesn't say that. But we know that those are the words that he spoke. And we know that as soon as he said those words, the dead man sat up, right? There was nothing else that Jesus needed to do. It was just his words, his words of power, right? Because Jesus is God. And he says, young man, arise. And the dead man, he sits up that moment. And he begins to speak. And again, like I said earlier, I don't know what he said. Maybe it was something simple, like, Mom, I'm hungry. Mom, you don't look too good. Mom, don't cry. Or maybe he started speaking by giving glory to God, by thanking Jesus. Right? We, we don't know, but he, we know that he spoke. And then Jesus, he didn't forget about the mother now. He doesn't just leave it be. He gave him to his mother. He gave him to his mother. So you see, Jesus, he doesn't stop by just seeing. He doesn't stop with just compassion, but it's love leads him to action, loving kindness. He, he just sees, he feels, he feels compassion, and he acts in loving kindness. That's who our Savior is. And it reminds us, as you look at who Jesus is, it reminds us of us. Think about who we are. This man was deaf physically. But we, you and I, the Bible is very clear that we were dead in our trespasses and in our sins. We, we had no hope. When a person is dying, there's hope. 
right? Even if the person's near death, but even at a hospital, when the person is dead, when they're pronounced dead, the doctors stop. Why? Because the person is dead. There is no hope. We were dead in our trespasses and sins, right? Because of our sinfulness. And we had no hope. But what does God do? God sent his one and only son into the world for sinners like us. Jesus came into this world and he lived a perfect life. And Jesus, he went to the cross for sinners like us, for his people. Jesus, with his loving kindness, with his compassion, he had mercy and compassion on his people. And he went to the cross with the ultimate act of loving kindness. He died the death that we deserve. He went through hell itself. Well, he is forsaken on the cross. He says, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He suffers. He dies. He bears the penalty of our sins, and he dies the death that we deserve upon the cross. And we see Christ's love. We see his compassion. We see his mercy. We see his loving kindness. We see Christ at the cross, what he does for his people, for us. He goes to the cross because of his love and his compassion for his people. We are called again to love others with that Christ-like love. We think of Romans 5 eight, but God shows us his love for us. And that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Or 1 John 3.16, right? This is how we know what love is. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us. So what do, we, what do we need to do? We are to lay down our lives for the brothers. We are to love as Christ has loved us. I remember meeting a couple down in Philadelphia, North Philadelphia. And and some of you actually might, might know them, but you know, the name was Ken and Anita. And... They, they felt called to go to the mission field in Cambodia. But then in their prayers and in the, through wisdom of others, they, they, they felt God was telling them instead of going to Cambodia, that they actually should minister to Cambodians who had come to the United States, right? People that had suffered through the killing fields in Cambodia and they were living in North Philadelphia and, and they felt compelled by God to minister to that community. So they actually moved into that community in the 90s and and they, they lived there, right? I think at one point, uh, one of them were block captains or something and they, they were trying to minister to the community and help in any way. And in the midst of that, they saw a need in the community. A big need was education. A lot of these children were not able to get good education. They decided, you know what? We want to serve by, by, by starting a school. Right, a private Christian school here right in this neighborhood. So they lived in the neighborhood and they were somehow able to get enough money to buy a big house and, and, they, and they started a school called Logan Hope. And, and they used that to really minister to the children in the community, to really love them. And you know, they would bring them to the school, teach them obviously, but also share the gospel with them, right? show who Christ is. With them, and then through that, they were also be able to, you know, talk to the parents and try to minister to the parents, and, and they were trying to really love this community, and and then it's got to know them, and as I would talk to them, and, and I would ask them, well, why? Why are you here? Why do you do this? And it was so obvious to me, right? They're not at Logan Hope anymore, but while they were there, we were, they were so it was so obvious to me that they had been moved by the gospel. They had been amazed by Christ. They had. 
they had seen how wonderful it is the sinners like us could be forgiven, could be saved because of what Christ has done for his people. And so they were so moved by the gospel, they wanted to love as Christ loves. And so even the name of the school, Logan Hope, right? The area is called Logan, but they turned Logan into a, an acrostic and it was it stood for loving our God and neighbor. And, and they wanted to, to have compassion, right? And to have loving kind. They wanted to love as Christ had loved them. And I, I share that not because I want to say, oh, they're amazing people, but really because I love seeing examples of where the gospel has just so moved in our hearts so that we want to do something for others. We want to love others and whatever path the Lord leads us in, that is a path that we go. But it is so important that we love as we have been loved. We pray for others with love. We give words of comfort and encouragement, where we show our love with acts of loving kindness and whatever this might be. And, and we want to love, again, people in our families, in our community, in our church, and those around us maybe we don't even know who are struggling and suffering from different injustices and different needs and struggles. And we want to show love as Christ has loved us. But then in this passage, as Jesus does this great thing, but then we see, lastly, pray. Right, so we, we, we Jesus sees, Jesus feels, he has compassion, he acts with loving kindness, and then God is glorified. A fear sees them all, they're amazed, and they are glorified. God saying, A great prophet has arisen among us, and God has visited his people. Now, the crowd reacts, and they're not sure what they've seen. I mean, well, they know what they've seen, but they they can't help but think of other prophets, right? They're reminded of probably Elijah and, El and Elisha who had done similar miracles, right, of bringing the dead to life. And so that's what they say, a great prophet has arisen among us. And they say, God has visited his people. And so they, they're so amazed and they're glorifying God, but what they don't realize is they're in the presence of God himself who gives life and who brings salvation to his people. They don't fully understand yet who Jesus is, and yet they glorify God. But we today, we know who Jesus is. We know that he died so that we could have life. We know that he went to the cross, that through his death, when we put our faith in Christ, we are forgiven of our sins, that we are now justified, that we are adopted into the family of God. We will have eternal life. We, we, know, we know so much more of who Christ is and what he has done. And so then how can we not glorify and praise God? How can we not be in awe of our Lord who lived, who died, who rose again? We are eternally grateful and we worship our Lord. Right? We are so moved by our Savior that we want to love as he has so loved us. And just like this report about us spread throughout the whole of Judea, the surrounding country, we, as we see who Jesus is, we glorify God, but we also want to share about him with others. We want others to know who this Jesus is so they could also glorify him. They could worship God so they could also come to know this amazing Savior. And I hope and I pray that we will live lives that imitate Christ, that we would see those in need around us, that we would see those who are struggling and suffering, that we would have compassion for those who are in need and that we would act with loving kindness, that we 
could show Christ to others through our actions. That we could share the gospel through our deeds, but also through our words. But then when we share those words, that people would really see the consistency of our words and our actions. That we could share about an amazing Savior, but also live a life that shows Christ as well. And as we do this, we, I pray that we could glorify God through our words, through our actions, with our hearts. And so that's my hope, my prayer this morning, that we could be amazed by Christ and that we could be Christ-like, that we could love as Jesus loves. We could be compassionate and kind and we could glorify God through our words, through our actions, through our lives. Let us pray. Father, we thank you again 